tonight's service, we are going through a series in the book of James. And we've called this series A Faith That Works. Um, See, James is, is a really practical book. And if you have questions around what does it actually look like to, to have faith? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to live a life worthy of our calling? Uh, James gives that insight. He brings that insight. It's, it's very practical. And, and I think it's really important because Satan likes to keep us from drawing near to God and to hinder the spread of the gospel And one of the ways he does this is actually by feeding us the lie that we can have faith without changing how we live. This is why the book of James is such a gift, right? It's so practical in explaining how to live a life worthy of our calling. So tonight we'll be in James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Um, I invite you to open up now um, if you'd like to, get that ready. James 4, 1 to 12. Something I've noticed myself doing a little bit more recently, I think particularly since it's been getting um, like colder, is craving those, those warm, meaty foods, right? I just want, like, I really want a steak and mashed potatoes. <laughs> that is, particularly tonight, I, and I've been thinking about this for, for this week, um, really want a steak and mash or a juicy like beef casserole. That is what I've been craving this past week while I've been freezing. It's been cold. And I think what it comes down to is that this kind of food, it makes me feel full. It makes me feel warm. It makes me feel satisfied when it is this kind of weather. The problem happens, though, when I can't get that food or when I don't have access to it for whatever reason. It might be I'm just lazy, I can't bother to cook it. Um, Maybe we've got something else in the fridge that Carlton, my darling husband, says, no, we have to eat this first before we have the steak. (laughs) Um, But but when this happens and, and I'm craving something, I end up eating us out of house and home. Right? I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe this bread will satisfy. Maybe a bit of Nutella on, on a bicky is going to make me feel the same way <laughs> that my steak and mash would make me feel. I start trying and chasing and grabbing at every food that I could possibly try just to feel that craving and that satisfaction. And to be honest, generally I'm ended up feeling even more kind of sad and upset than when I first started thinking about the food. I should have just, yeah, gone with it and, and, and not eaten anything. Now, perhaps you have more self-control than me when it comes to your food cravings, and if you do, well done. Um, but this story is just a small picture of a very big problem in our society. We are all running around trying to satisfy our cravings. We are all running and trying to satisfy our cravings. And although your craving might not be food, it will be something else. Maybe it's a craving and a need to fit in. Maybe it's a craving to be heard. Maybe it's a craving for adventure and and life, living life on the edge or to its fullest. Maybe you crave comfort and control and, and in that you think money, is going to be the fix for that for you. But whatever it is for you, this is something that every single one of us experience. 
The thing about our cravings and our need for satisfaction is they all come from a root desire to please ourselves. The need to fill some kind of void or emptiness that we are experiencing. And if your experience is anything like mine with food, the more that we try to fill it, the emptier we feel. And if by some chance we, we do fill it temporarily, generally the next, could even be hour, the next day, a little while after, we find ourselves coming back to another craving. We will never satisfy our own desires in this life by searching for it in things found in this world. But luckily for us, the Bible actually shows us how we can live a life of fullness, of freedom, and of hope. And it is not through searching for it or satisfying our deep desires. It is through obedience and through submission to God. Obedience is the key to unlocking the door that leads to a fullness of life, freedom, and hope that we can find um, in Jesus. So we're going to read now from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. I'll get you to open up your Bibles um, if you have them here. Even if you've got it on your phone, um, it will be helpful for you to be able to read along with me, follow along with me as, as I keep talking, I'll keep coming back to different verses. So it would be helpful if you could open that up. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you have on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we come before your word tonight, Lord, I pray, yeah, Holy Spirit, that you would just be working in our hearts. Lord, would you be speaking to us in ways that, yeah, really um, bring light to our situations? Lord, would you be drawing us closer to you, giving us ears to hear, eyes to see, um, and minds to understand who you are? Yeah, we thank you for your word. In your name, amen. 
Amen. So last week, Dave Luthi, he spoke to us from James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. And, and in that, he was outlining two types of wisdom. Wisdom that comes from heaven, that is pure, and wisdom that comes from selfish ambition and bitter envy, that is evil. And the passage for tonight, in, in true James style, he likes to, to take what he's kind of spoken about and then get real practical with it. So, so in this, he is exploring the effects, the effects that evil wisdom can have amongst believers and the church. And he dives even deeper into diagnosing the root problem for evil wisdom. We all know and I think have experienced some kind of evil wisdom, bad leadership and bad decisions in our lives. Um, I think particularly at the moment, we don't have to look far to see the devastation that that kind of um, wisdom brings on the world. And the devastation in particular that James is witnessing while he's writing this is fighting and quarrels amongst believers and in the church. And what this is causing is fractured relationships between believers and God, fractured relationships between believers and one another, and fractured relationships between believers and the community. And this, this has a worldwide effect because this actually disrupts the effective communication of the gospel. So we must not ignore James's question that he raises in verse 1. What is the cause of these fights and quarrels amongst the, the church? And the answer is our selfish desires. James has diagnosed that the root of evil wisdom is human desire not in line with Jesus. Back in chapter 1 in James, he teaches us that it is our desires that are the means of our temptation leading to friendship with the world. It says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Desire that is not in line with Jesus is desire that is in line with the world. They could not be more opposite. So those of us who, who claim to be in Christ, yet allow our selfish desire to entice us into things of this world, things that are dishonouring to God, things that are unloving towards others, James describes that as adulterous, unfaithful cheaters towards God. This is, a, this is a big deal. This is a big picture. To be unfaithful to your spouse in this world, we, we look on that and we go, oh. yet this is how James is describing those of us who say we are in Christ yet chase the world. We see in the Bible that affection to God and faithfulness to him brings faith, hope, love, joy, peace, abundant living, eternal life, love of neighbour and so many other things. Affection towards the world brings quarrels, fighting, materialism, hopelessness, egocentric living and ultimately death. James couldn't be more clear. To love 
the world and to chase after the world is to hate God and be an enemy of God. There is no way that we could run in both directions at the same time. To run after one is to run away from the other. Lately, Carlton and I have been trying to, um, I guess, get away from spending so much on takeaway, right? And we're trying to get better at doing our grocery shopping. I'm not very good at doing grocery shopping. I don't really like it. It stresses me out a little bit, having to think too far in the future about my food. But we are trying to get better. But we all know that midweek, when we haven't done the meal prep that we told ourselves that we were going to do, we're running late for work, um, there's nothing in the fridge that's easy to grab, we know that's when the rubber hits the road of how well we're actually doing with our, with our takeaway consumption. So what I've recently discovered is that Woolworths <laughs> sells these, in, in, their, in their hot chicken section, where they make hot chicken, they sell um, these, these chicken wings and chicken chippies and chips. <laughs> Sound very unhealthy. But <laughs> the, and, and they are amazing, right? They are very good and they, they are not, they're not super expensive. So if you haven't discovered this um, section in Woolworths, the grocery store, then I recommend, I recommend you do so. But anyway, What's happened is I've actually deceived myself into thinking that if I buy my lunch from Woolworths, from the grocery store, I'm actually just doing my groceries and I'm not getting takeaway. That, that is what I've told myself um, probably for the last two weeks. I'm going to try and stop this week so you guys can hold me accountable to that. But yeah, I, I've thought because, because it's not coming from a takeaway store, because it's coming from Woolworths, it's groceries. And, and I have deceived myself. <laughs> we deceive ourselves so easily, right? So easily. And we have to be careful not to deceive ourselves of this. Into thinking that we can live in intimate fellowship with God when the set of our hearts is towards the world and towards a self-pleasing lifestyle. Something we must realise about our selfish desires is that they do not satisfy to the level that they advertise. And until we look at all of life from the perspective of, of God's plans and his priorities for us, until we can adopt an eternal perspective when it comes to our desires, our life will constantly be hounded with, with this awareness that we are lacking, that, that we do not have. We will constantly be hounded with this. Desires that are not in line with God will not satisfy and they will leave us feeling emptier than we were before. James is saying in verse two and three here, that you don't have what you desire, you do not feel fulfilled in your desires because you don't desire God. Hear this. We will continue to chase unsatisfying, selfish desires until we can learn through the power of the Holy Spirit 
to align our desires to those of God and finally come to rest in him. God will not give us what we desire if our attitude is to spend it on ourselves and put self first. Guys, our selfish desires are threatening our spiritual lives. James here says that prayer itself is defiled by the incessantly self-centered heart. So to prevent this from occurring, to prevent this from happening in our lives, we need to make sure that, that our desires are in line with God's desires and we need to be checking our desires. And we can do this, we can check our desires by examining them against the heart of God revealed to us through scripture and through his word. Ask yourself, would Jesus put his name to this? This, this thought, this desire, this action, whatever it is, would Jesus put his name to this? Desires in line with the heart of God will be full of wisdom from heaven. Therefore, they, they will be pure, they will be peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, and they will ultimately lead you and those around you to a deeper knowledge and intimacy with God. Fulfilling our selfish desire does not lead to a fullness of life, freedom and hope. As long as we allow our selfish desires to prevail, the devil will be working to separate man from God. So we desperately need help to fight this battle in our lives. James so clearly points out that we have a problem, a self-pleasing problem. Our problem is that our own selfish desires wreak havoc in our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the community. And we've spoken about our need to keep our desires in check, but there is also a need that goes, goes deeper than this, something that we require if we are to do this well. If we were to try and fix this problem on our own strength, we would not succeed. And this is where the promise of the gospel that we find throughout the Bible is such a beautiful gift, right? Verse 6 says, but God gives us more grace, more grace. God joins us in our battle against our selfish desires and he fights for us. For those who desire friendship with God, who are genuinely seeking God and running from the world, you will need to rely on God's grace to fight this battle of our selfish desires. God's promise is that grace is readily available for us. It is more than we need. It is more than we ask. And no matter how heavy the awareness of our sin and failure is on our lives, God's grace will lift that burden with forgiveness. If you are in Christ, you are already forgiven. You are already redeemed. You are already made right with God. And you can, you can rest in this truth, and I, I so desperately want you to rest in this truth. 
But even as we, as we keep on living in this sinful world and as we keep on sinning, God gives us more grace. He will continue to pour out his grace on us all the more that we may have strength to turn from our ways and to draw even closer to God, to unlock the door to fullness of life, freedom and hope found only in Jesus. And this is far more satisfying than a self-pleasing life. But something else we can see in verse 6 is that there is actually something that gets in the way of us receiving this grace. And that is our pride. Pride makes us self-centred and it leads us to believe that we deserve everything that we can see, touch and imagine. It leads us to greed. It leads us to a blindness of our sin and a blindness of our need for forgiveness. So, even, even now as, as we speak, I want to be asking Holy Spirit to be ridding us of our pride and awakening us to our sin. Amen? Mm. When I was in high school, I did a subject called Earth Science. Not very popular, um, but it was good. I liked learning about the natural disasters. I think that's what drew me to it, um, how the world worked and things like that. I went to a Southside school, so we actually did um, excursions to the North Side, and we came. <laughs> we we have um, mud flats and things over there, but but we came over here because we wanted to see the North Side's mud flats. Um, they weren't super different, but <laughs> that that's kind of what what we did in Earth Science. And our teacher was great. Like he was he was the academic dean of the school. And he just put so much effort into, into this class and into his teaching. So I, I really respected him as a teacher. The only thing that he did that I didn't love is that he made us hand in drafts. Now, I, yeah, not a massive draft person. I'm not a massive assignment person, but drafts particularly. Um, so I thought, oh, just the day of, came and I found an article or something on the internet and I copied and I pasted it, <laughs> um, put my name on it and submitted that. And keep in mind, this is the academic dean of the school, um, thinking that he wouldn't realise that it's completely copied. Um, and, and when I got my results from this draft, the, and I'll never forget, the words he put on, on, his, on the sheet was, I'm disappointed in you. I expected more <laughs> from you. And I was like, oh, what? I thought, I have, I have handed in a draft. <laughs> I deserve, I deserve praise. I deserve like, an a, I deserve everything because I handed in a draft. And, and I, said, I said, like, sir, this is not something any other teacher would get. Like, <laughs> my pride got in the way. I, I, I was really prideful about it. So much so that I spent the next week sitting in his class in protest doing nothing. I thought, I will show you what, it, what no work is. <laughs> um, praise God, I humbled myself enough to redo that assignment and to hand it in. And I, I got a pretty good mark, which, which was great. Um, 
But, but the reality was that I thought, my pride told me that I actually deserved all this praise, all of this um, attention and well done's, but, but, I, but I, I didn't. I didn't deserve that. My pride got in the way of understanding that my teacher was actually there to help me. He was trying to, yeah, push me into better things. Our pride is a dangerous thing in our relationship with God. Right? It blocks our ability to understand and feel the weight of our sin and it stops us from turning to God and accepting the abundant grace that he offers. I think that sometimes God actually works in a similar way to my teacher through him denying me of my selfish desires um, of pride. He actually turned, he, he helped me be better, this teacher. And God does similar things. Through denying us of our selfish desires, God can use this to get our attention and to speak to our prideful hearts. Times of frustration in our lives are important opportunities to consider whether the goals we are pursuing are honouring to God or are honouring to our own desires. Our inner turmoil that, that we feel in these times of frustrations is not just a conflict amongst our desires. Do I desire this? Maybe I desire this more. What it is, it is it's also God waging war on our rebellious selves. Failure may actually be the way of God calling us out of the world and back into friendship with him. If we continue to show up and to face these selfish desires with prideful hearts, then we will continue to live in blindness to our sin and in a blindness to our need of grace. We won't be able to overcome our selfish desires and we will not start living in the fullness of life, freedom and hope available in Christ. So the cure for our selfish desire is the opposite of pride and it is humility. Humility is the only place that believers gain courage to face their temptations and sin with God's strength. And it is to the humble that God offers more grace. As God gives more grace, we realize that this world's seductive attractions, the things that we selfishly desire, are only cheap substitutes to what God has to offer us. This is the grace of a fullness of life with Jesus. We get to enjoy a personal relationship with God. We have access to him in prayer. We enjoy daily fellowship with Christ, guidance through the Holy Spirit, future hope in heaven, and the profound sense of being loved by God. These are the privileges of grace that God gives to the humble. And they are promised and sealed and made sure through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. James has diagnosed us with a self-desire problem and he's also shown us that our need is more grace because we cannot fight this battle on our own. And this is where James now starts to go in and describe more detail what our responsibility is in unlocking the fullness of life, freedom and hope. Throughout the Bible, it is pretty clear 
when it comes to our faith that we do have a responsibility and a part to play. And here we need to be fighting pride with humility. We have access to beautiful communion with God and all the grace and the blessings that that brings. But we are too busy playing in the the rotten, evil pig pen of this world, deceiving ourselves that we are actually living our best lives when we are blinded by pride. True faith responds to God actively, not passively. And although God initiates and facilitates all that occurs between us and him, our involvement is never entirely excluded. This is where James reveals the key to a fullness of life, freedom and hope found in Jesus and where he reveals what our responsibility is in that. And the key is obedience through a humble heart. When it comes down to it, Our responsibility, I think, can be summed up in the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And actually, when we we look at these next verses in James from verses 7 to 12, James is basically giving a, a practical outworking, almost like his own sermon, on the great commandment that, that Jesus teaches in Matthew 22. If you look in your Bibles, verses 7 to 10 is how we love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. So the first part of the great commandment. And verses 11 to 12 is how we can love others and love our neighbour as ourselves, which is the second part of the commandment. So James kicks us off in verse 7 by setting the foundation to loving God with all our heart. Ultimately, our responsibility the foundation of our responsibility is to submit to God and to resist the devil. We submit to God when we recognise both his friendship and his authority. Our relationship with God is not us as equals to him, but us as trusting servants. And our submission to him Our obedience to him means that we will constantly make all that we have and all that we are available to God without reservation. That we will consciously recognise God's desires ahead of our own. Personal submission to God is part of our living faith. The next part is to, to resist the devil. Although James talks about the immediate sources of our problem as our own desires, to give in to those desires is to yield to the devil. The devil's primary purpose now is to separate man from God. Although he he is destined for destruction, he wants to take as much of creation down with him as he possibly can. And Satan knows that as long as he can stimulate human pride, he can delay God's plan, even if only temporary. This is why we must resist him and the lies that, that, he, that he tells us and we must grow in humility. But the promise in verse 7 is this. The devil can be resisted and our resistance will cause him to flee. 
And now that, that James has laid the foundation, he gets into a bit more of the nitty gritty of what it is to actually love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. So the first, the first step that he mentions, the first thing that he mentions is to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The act of submission to God now includes the added benefit of God's immediate response. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we can approach God without fear and without condemnation. We do not have to come very far when we come, but our responsibility is to come. As we submit our wills and our desires to God, we will discover his care, his closeness, in ways that we cannot perceive when we are in active rebellion against him, when we are chasing the world. Oftentimes I hear um, people say things like, I just don't feel like God is speaking to me. I don't feel like God is near. And, and what James, I think, is saying here is, 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 are you drawing near to him? Or are you stepping away? Because if you are not drawing near to God, I am not surprised by your statement that you're not feel, feeling God's closeness. Because he promises that if we do draw near to him, that he will draw near to us. So that's something we can, we can rest in that. The next command or the next thing that James um, speaks about is cleanse your hands, you sinners. This is referring to a purifying of our actions and a change of external behaviours. This picture involves the submission of our exterior lives to God's cleansing. The way that we live our lives matters to God. And I think no more, this is no more needed now than it ever has been to know that the way that we live our lives matters to God. As we submit and draw near to God, we will become aware of habits and actions in our lives that are not pleasing to him, that do not bring honour to him, that do not love others. And this picture of washing our hands that James speaks of is, is representing a, a removal of these things, getting rid of those external um, desires that are not pleasing to God. We need to be ready to distance ourselves from the sins that God points out in our lives. The next thing James says is purify your hearts, you double-minded. This calls for a purity of thoughts and motives, an inward change. To be double-minded is to love both God and the world. And as we've already said, that is, that is impossible because you cannot love one without hating the other. So purity of, of heart implies a, a single-mindedness that is only concerned with the desires of God. Both this, this internal and external cleansing, our, our hearts and our hands, are made possible by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. We can submit to this washing by asking God to make us clean. Hebrews 9.14 says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit 
offered himself unblemished to God. Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. How much more will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? So much. Cleansing's not achieved on our own. It is a work of the Spirit through us. But submission to God, submission to to the cleansing, that is our responsibility. The next thing James calls us to and commands us to is lament, mourn and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Submission to God actually brings a new awareness of our condition and our shortcomings. As God draws near to us, we ought to sense our unworthiness because God is a holy God. In this, there is a dying that must take place, a death to sin, a death to the old way of life, a, 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 a death to, um, to evil. It involves a struggle to forsake our selfish ways and surrender our lives to Jesus. But here's what I, I, I want to say something really important. There is a big difference between shame and between conviction. Shame is a tool that Satan uses to accuse our identity. Conviction is a beautiful gift from the Holy Spirit that will confront our behaviour. Shame will cause you to want to run away from God. Conviction will lead you to drawing closer to him. God will not shame you into conviction. He will not shame you into change. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who love him. But God will use conviction to draw you close to him in that way to a place where you can repent and turn away from sin. Shame and conviction, very, very different. What James is talking about here is a call to a deep and heartfelt repentance that has come from a place of conviction. Enjoyment of the world's pleasures need to be changed to a morning of and gloom of sin. Until this happens, there is no room for laughter of real freedom and joy in the Lord. It is true that the Christian uh, Christian life involves joy and is filled with joy, but but when we are talking about coming to a place of realising the reality of our sin, we must be mournful so that we can come to a true repentance. After this, we can move to joy um, in the grace that God has given us. The next thing that James calls us to and commands us to is to humble ourselves before the Lord. Humbling ourselves means recognising that our worth comes from God alone. It is recognising our desperate need for his help and submitting to his will for our lives. Even though we don't deserve favour with God, He gives it to us anyway. And the promise that he makes is that when when we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. This is how 
we can love the Lord our God with all our hearts, soul, mind and strength. This is what we are called to as believers and followers of Christ. The way we live our lives matters to God. Verse 11 and 12 then moves to the commands surrounding um, proper relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ and it echoes the second part of the great commandment. And I'm just going to go over this very quickly. Um, To love your neighbour as yourself is ensuring that we don't lift ourselves up to a position of judge over one another. Only God has the ability to judge Um, And to lift ourselves up to that is to put us on equal platform with God. And only, yeah, only God has the ability to judge and therefore judgment's reserved to to him. So that is how we love our neighbours as ourselves. We all long for satisfaction and fulfilment, but it will not come through our selfish desire or through the world because our selfish desire does not bring life, freedom, and hope. Obedience does. Success to God isn't about our performance. Success to him is found in in our obedience and our ability to surrender. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are agents representing the king. We enter our world sponsored by him, equipped to carry out his work and promote his interests. How we live our lives matters to God. And having having a repentant spirit and the ability to surrender and to obey is the key. So I want to invite us all now to respond to God actively by taking part in in an active... um, active yeah thing of <laughs> of surrendering to God I, w- I want to actually let's actually surrender to God and repent our selfish desires just like James is describing here and and we can do these things tonight uh, to symbolize a commitment to obedience submission and repentance to God so I want to invite the worship team to come back up and just um, play quietly and they will be singing a song called I Surrender, which I think is what God is calling us here, all of us to, to do now, to surrender to him. But while the team is playing and throughout this song and throughout this time of worship, I want to, uh, I want to encourage you in your own time that if you feel you want to respond to the call to submit to God and to resist the devil... I want to invite you to to do these things, to draw near to God, to cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, lament, mourn, weep and repent. We are are called to be a a repentant people. So the way that we're going to do that is this. I want you to to draw near to God, to come forth, to symbolise a coming towards God to wash your hands, to symbolise God's cleansing and and your commitment to cleansing of of old habits and and, um, old ways. So that that takes, yeah, a physical movement towards God and as you're doing that, as you're coming up to the front, um, 
picture yourself drawing near to God and God drawing near to you. And then wash your hands in, in the basins that I have or that have been provided. Um, it's just normal water. It is nothing special. But as you wash your hands, picture the representation of removal of those habits and actions that are not pleasing to God. Commit to getting rid of them. Leave them in the basin. After that, you're going to take a card that I placed next to the washing bowls and they will take you through a time of, of purifying your heart, lamenting, mourning, weeping and repenting of sin. And when you take one, I want to encourage you to actually go and find a space in this room where you can just be with you and God. That might be back at your chair and that's fine, uh, but it might be to the sides, to the back. And when you do that, take up a posture of humility and encourage you to, if, if that's on your knees, then, then be on your knees. If that's standing, be standing, whatever that is for you. Um, and, and then read through the verses that are there. Read through and pray through some of the prayer points and, and the pointers that I've got on the sheet. Ask God to make you clean. Ask God to reveal your sin to you and spend time in genuine repentance of your sin. God cares about the way that you live your life. And then after that, I want you to make some kind of commitment to how you are going to leave tonight changed. There's no use if we come here, if we hear the gospel, and then we go into our lives tomorrow and we are not changed. What good is that? So I'm, I'm going to pray now. And then if, if you feel called, if you feel led, please come forth. Um, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, and then go and purify um, and repent. Um, but also, if, if you would like to just stay seated, that is definitely okay as well. We don't want to be forcing you into anything. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us on the cross. Lord, we thank you that, that we can come to you, that we can draw near to you, that you promise that you will draw near to us. Lord, that you will cleanse us. Lord, that there is no condemnation in you. Lord, that you will not shame us to change. But God, we want to invite, um, yeah, senses of conviction now, if that is what you have. Um, Lord, be rid of our pride, open our hearts to the reality of our sin and lead us to be a repentant people who care about the sinfulness of the world and love people enough to share the gospel with them. Lord, we want to leave here changed tonight. We pray these things in your name. Amen.